You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Prevailing myths have portrayed arthritis as an old person's disease, an inevitable part of aging that must be endured. However, effective interventions are available to prevent much of the burden arthritis has and its complications. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and with me today is Dr. Patience White, Chief Public Health Officer for the Arthritis Foundation in Atlanta. She's also Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Welcome. Thank you for having me on, Laura. It's a delight. Today we're talking about arthritis and means of prevention. Let's begin with this question. Can arthritis be prevented? That's such a good question. Most people would say no, but I'm actually going to say you absolutely can. And let's talk about prevention in the way that public health people talk about prevention. There are three components to prevention. There's primary, secondary, and tertiary. Most people, when we're talking about prevention, think about primary prevention, and that's what we think about with immunizations. So can you prevent a form of arthritis by immunization? Absolutely. Lyme disease has an immunization that people that are really working in that area often get. So you can prevent Lyme arthritis with immunizations. The second form of prevention really is can we find something that will make people aware that they might get a form of arthritis? At this point, we're working on laboratory tests in rheumatoid arthritis that might well predict that you're going to get rheumatoid arthritis. And a classic example of secondary prevention also would be doing bone density tests for osteoporosis. The tertiary form is can you prevent the outcome, the disability of arthritis? And there's no doubt that today we have methods and ways to prevent the disability that happens with arthritis. And as you know, arthritis is extremely common, and it is the number one cause of disability in the United States. Wow. So you can actually prevent the progression, the further progression of arthritis, even once you have it. Absolutely. What are some of the means of doing that? Well, let's talk about the different forms of arthritis, because I think that's how you have to focus on it. And the most likely form that most physicians will see is osteoarthritis. This is a little bit of a a diagnosis that comes as we get older, but I just want to remind you that 38% of people with osteoarthritis are under the age of 65. Clearly, most are over. And what can you do to prevent this? Well, most people think, well, once you got it, you know, there's nothing you can do. Absolutely not. There's some startling studies now that show that if you just keep active, and there's some nice studies of people that just did moderate physical activity. Now, I'm going to differentiate physical activity from exercise because most people say, oh, I just can't go to that health club. I'm just not (laughs) going to do that. But we're talking about just doing a little bit of getting out and walking. So if you can get out and do some physical activity, they did a nice study with people in their 60s, If they did moderate physical activity a couple of times a week, they reduced their long-term disability by 50%. And the next step is clearly getting those waistlines in. If you lose just about 15 pounds, you will decrease, if you already have pain in your knees from osteoarthritis, by 50%. And if you lose about 11 pounds and you're a little bit overweight, you'll reduce your getting your onset of osteoarthritis by about 40%. So there's been a lot of exciting research looking into what you can do to really change the natural history here of osteoarthritis. You're just going to end up being disabled because that's 
clearly, the, as I say, it's the number one cause of disability in the United States. Now, if you look at people with rheumatoid arthritis, this is the inflammatory kind of arthritis affecting about 2.1 million Americans. Treating them at any time with the exciting new therapies that we have for, for rheumatoid arthritis will change the natural history of that disease. So the disability that most people would get, and most people with rheumatoid arthritis are out of the labor force at five years, you can change that completely today. So there's the therapies that you can do, and there's a lot of behavioral lifestyle change for osteoarthritis that will make a huge difference in actually decreasing the progression and preventing getting it in the future. Uh, is that beyond exercise and weight loss? Those are the two most important things. Now, clearly, not injuring yourself, and we all know uh, the people that are in their 50s who still want to play that football the way they did in <laughs> high school or college, and they get injured. And an injury and a major joint, and we're talking about you know carrying a cartilage or, or actually having to have some kind of local surgery, sets you up for arthritis within the next 10 years. So if you already had a little trouble and you injure yourself, and I'm afraid to say a lot of people also have this vision that, you know, you got to run through the pain, and I, I want to caution them that perhaps running through the pain isn't the right thing to do. And besides physical activity, actually keeping the appropriate range of motion and muscle balance. So most people think you just get out and, you know, walk or do whatever that you're going to do. You also have to think about stretching. It's very important. Many people are taking up golf, and the one thing you've got to do around golf is you've got to stretch those joints. That's true with any physical activity, but stretching and then making sure you have good muscle balance. So your quadricep muscles might be strong, but you also have the opposing muscles that need to be strong because if they aren't, you'll predispose yourself to worsening arthritis. Can you tell us some about the types of programs and support services that the Arthritis Foundation offers? Well, I'm very proud that the Arthritis Foundation offers what we call evidence-based programs. And what do I mean by that? It means that when somebody goes through one of our programs, which I'll discuss in a minute, that actually we have research, you know, controlled trials that have shown that pain will decrease, so of increasing function, increasing range of motion and muscle strength, and actually uh, know how to better get in touch with their physician on the next steps that they need to do. So I'm excited that we offer that. We offer three major evidence-based programs today, but we're in the process of developing new ones. So the ones that we offer today are the Arthritis Foundation Exercise Program. This is a great way for a person in your practice that is over in their 60s and early 70s who are saying, you know, I guess I really ought to get active, but I don't know what to do about will I injure myself? And after the physician has decided they can pick up a, a, a physical activity program, there's no other contraindication, that referring them to that program is terrific. They give them the kind of exercise they can do. It gives them confidence. And then they may go on and do something else and actually join a health club. There's also, if there's people out there that like to swim, the Arthritis Foundation Aquatic Program, it's run in conjunction with the YMCA, so they're all hmm. over, and we have people that have been in these programs for years. They just love it. And then finally, if you're, as a physician, trying to help somebody understand how to, to work with their pain and think about the things that they need to do, we have a self-management program that is, as I say, evidence-based, and it really helps people increase their self-efficacy and decrease their pain, and it's, we've been shown it's cost-effective as well. So these three programs are offered throughout the country 
just contact your local Arthritis Foundation. You can find that on our website, arthritis.org, and find out where these programs are. And I, I must say they're, I'm proud that they really do make a difference in people that go to them. Now, this question I'm almost hesitant to ask, but I know that women in particular seem to have an added risk for arthritis if they're wearing high heel shoes and carrying big, heavy purses. What are women needing to be mindful of in those kinds well, of Well, I love that you brought this up because they've done wonderful studies about stopping women on the street and weighing their handbags. <laughs> you know, it's, they're very heavy. And first of all, most of us tend to put our hand you know, our our shoulder bag or a handbag on one side of us. So if you're carrying 20 or 30 pounds, and that's how much these are sometimes, on one side of your body, your your mechanics aren't right. So you'll often get more trouble uh, with regards to that. If you're going to be carrying a lot of heavy things, uh, particularly computers, a lot more women are Mm -hmm. out there working and carrying their laptop computers, you'd like to buy a, a bag that you actually can wear almost like a backpack. And there are very stylish ones available so that you're spreading the weight nicely over your back, and at the same way when you do that, you actually straighten your back so your predisposition to be sort of curved with regards to osteoporosis, another condition that women are predisposed to get. So doing that actually helps that as well as equally putting weight across both of your knees. I want to just pop in another fact here, that every pound you gain actually is like four pounds across your knees because of the mechanics and how your knees work and the sort of physics. Mm -hmm. So if you're putting more weight on one side, you're going to put more weight on one side of your uh, one knee than the other, and you may actually wear that more than the other. So first of all, it'd be better not to carry the weight, but you have to. You have to carry that computer around and some of the things that we carry around. And putting it equally across your shoulders is the best. The higher the heel, the more you actually have to walk with your knees slightly bent. Watching somebody walking in a two- to three-inch heel is very different than somebody with a lower heel. And if you're walking many hours and many days and therefore many years with your knee slightly bent, you're more predisposed to having trouble with that patellofemoral joint. When you want to wear those bike heels, wear them just when you're going to want to look gorgeous. Spend the rest of your time. It's much better in a lower heel, an inch or two, and even better yet, Put on those sneakers to walk to work or walking around the day and then putting on your nice shoes when you get to your workplace. So a two-inch heel is okay? It's okay. Wait a minute. You know, sneakers are better. (laughs) But, yes, it's certainly better than the three-inch, you know. The lower, the better. As you know, when you're walking on these high heels, you're not really walking normally. You have to sort of be a flat-foot walker because you can't sort of put all your weight on that spike heel, and then rock forward as you normally do when you walk. And you really want to keep your gait as smooth and easy as possible so you use your hips and knees appropriately. Similarly, if you are flat-footed, right, you have a lower arch, you're more likely to put more stress on your knee. And so it's very important that if you are flat-footed to think about getting some kind of support that often people notice that their their mild knee pain gets better when they put some support. And the combination of shoes and a handbag could really cause problems. You're right. It's a real problem for women, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> and this also begs the question about the 
the weight of backpacks that our teenagers are carrying around in high school, and I wonder what you would say about that. I know my son's at least 40 pounds. I know. The American Academy of Pediatrics is always saying, if you really have to carry these books around, is there a way you could have two sets, or do you really need to bring all of the textbooks in every day and hope that teachers will think about this as they're going forward with their lesson plans? Do they really need to bring that history book that weighs 10 pounds Mm -hmm. into class every day? Or could they work out a, a way to give them some lighter homework? I, I totally agree with you. It is. It, you look at some of these youth, and they're leaning forward at yes. 30 degrees to carry yes. these kind of backpacks. So it clearly isn't good for, for young people's health to be carrying this heavy, heavy weight. And it's something that the American Academy of Pediatrics is always trying to talk to school systems and teachers about. And the stronger students need stronger backs. That's right. <laughs> I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.